Now, of all of you, I'm going to have to make sure that I remember our time change this morning because I'm accustomed to getting up here at 11, not 10.30. So if it rolls to about 11.05 and 11.10 and you think I'm just going to keep preaching, just throw something at me, right? Just, just in case in my mind, I'm thinking, wait, I got a lot of time still this morning, all right? Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes in, in our mind, we think, as the, the PowerPoint says behind me, we think some things never change. And in our mind, that can become an absolute. But is that the truth? Is it the truth that some things will absolutely never change? Odds are against it. (laughs) Most things at some point do change. I don't know what these two are talking about in this particular picture, but I would imagine that Coach Saban and Coach Smart weren't standing there laughing about how, you know what, things at Georgia are never going to change. Or or things at Alabama are never going to change. Why? Well, because these two men know, which by the way, good luck to all you Georgia fans out there, but these two men know better than anyone else, all it takes is a couple bad recruiting years and like a nine-win season or two, and they'll be looking for a job. Because that's just the nature of the world that we live in. So, do things change? Yes. Things change very quickly. You see, in this life, as we're experiencing those mountaintop moments, when things are going really, really good, many of us have learned that the valley of despair is right around the corner. And so you need to make sure that you're enjoying those mountaintop moments while you're there because it won't last Because that's not the world we live in. Because things in this life most definitely change. Did you know that when the Israelites, when they first went to Egypt, they weren't slaves? When they first went to Egypt, they were welcomed in with open arms. As the family of Joseph, they were given land, they were given opportunity Because Joseph, as a leader, he had led Egypt through a terrible time of famine. He was highly regarded through the land. And so his people, his family, the Israelites, they were welcomed in. But then things changed. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithma and Ramses. But, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard work in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Things had changed. I wonder, I wonder how many of us are forced to work ruthlessly from day to day I would dare say none of us 
sure, you may have a job that's demanding, and you may have a job where you don't feel as appreciated as you would like. You may even have a job where you don't make as much money as you feel you deserve. But you don't work. None of us work the way the Israelites worked from day to day. They were subject to not only working long, back-breaking hours in a very hot sun, they were subject to being beaten. You see, if they didn't meet their quota, if they didn't meet the expectation of the day, they weren't just giving a quick chewing out by their boss for not doing the work of the day. No, they were beaten. They were being beaten with whips, beaten with big sticks, beaten across the backs of their legs, beaten across their back, all while they labored day after day in the hot sun as slaves making bricks, building buildings for the Egyptians. So yes, we, we don't know what it's like to work the way the Egyptians work. I'm certainly glad that, that the elders have never taken this approach with me, the whole whips and, and stick thing, okay? I don't, I don't know how effective that would be for any of us. But that word ruthless, it actually means broken in pieces, And so the idea then is that that the children of Israel, as they were slaves there in Egypt, they were being broken to pieces emotionally and physically every single day for 400 years. Let that sink in a moment. 400 years. The children of Israel were slaves. They were beaten. They were building for another nation, but not their own. They were helping another nation become rich, but not their own. Things had certainly changed. They were welcomed there with open arms, and now they were slaves. I wonder if it was the first year, or the fifth, or maybe the tenth, or maybe the twenty-fifth, before someone finally said, things are never going to change. Because you see, we, we typically don't think that thought when things are good. Because again, we, we know how life works. We know things certainly change. But when things are hard, when life is painful, that's when this thought really begins to creep in our mind, isn't it? Man... This is never going to get any better. Things are never going to change. Maybe it's a life circumstance that you're facing right now. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with your children or your grandchildren. Or maybe it's with yourself and your own personal life. There's something going on that is amiss There's something that's not right. There's something that is painful. And it's been that way for a minute now. And you find yourself wondering. You find yourself believing. Things will never change. At this particular point in my life, at the age that I am, I just can't seem to believe that things could ever change. That things could get better. Church, I want you to know something this morning. Things can change for the better. 
if we continue to keep our eyes on God. You know why I can say that with such a surety? Because things changed even for the Israelites. Yes, they went from being welcomed in to being slaves of the Egyptians and for being horrible slaves of the Egyptians, horribly, horribly oppressed for, for 400 years. But things changed again. Why did their circumstances change again? Why were they led out of that Egyptian bondage that they were captive to for 400 years? Was it because they suddenly got smarter? Was it because suddenly they got more talented? Was it because they suddenly got richer? What was it that enabled them to experience a huge life change once more? In Exodus chapter 2, it says beginning in verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. How did the circumstances for the children of Israel change after 400 years? They cried out to God. God heard them. And God acted. He acted upon their groaning. He acted upon their crying out. He acted upon the fact that there was this covenant that had been made long before this 400 years had ever occurred. A covenant that they would always be His people. So He acted. Prayer. Prayer is a very very powerful thing. Prayer enables us the power to change. But do we believe that? Not just in theory, but do we actually practice it? Do we actually live a life that shows that we are a prayerful people about any and everything that's going amiss in our life? The disciples, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. I'm sure you remember that. Because He had such a strong prayer life. Now listen, as followers of Christ, we look to His example. And He as the, the Son of God, not just the Son of God, not just God in the flesh, but He, the perfect example. As Dwight was referring to just a few moments ago, that perfection of Jesus. He was perfect, y'all. And he still recognized the need for prayer. Now, if Jesus recognized the time to set aside specific times in his life to pray and have conversations with God the Father, then how much more do you and I need to make sure that we're following in the footsteps of the King? That we're following in his footsteps and going, man, if a prayer life meant so much to him, how much more does it need to mean to me? And so his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus, he told them what to pray for, but then he followed that by telling this parable. He said, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. 
and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. You know, I think many of us probably like to think of God when it comes to our prayer life. We, we may like to think to Him as like a, a butler who can't wait to please us, who can't wait to meet our every need. You remember watching the Adams Family when you were kids? I used to watch it when I was on reruns, you know? And if you remember in the old Adams Family TV show, there was always a rope close by, and they'd pull the rope, and a big gong would go off. And I mean, out of nowhere, this, this huge, like, seven-foot-tall lurch would just be standing there. He would just appear, this huge butler that would say, you rang, but with a much deeper voice than I have. He was there in that moment, in an instant, ready to serve, ready to meet their need. Sometimes, maybe, maybe we wish God was like that. And we begin to think that our prayer life is supposed to be like that. That, that we're supposed to be able to go to God in prayer. And in that moment, God should be ready and waiting and, and just jumping and said, Blake, what is it you need? What is it you want? I'm here. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Sometimes we pray. And it's silence that we get in return. We pray and we pray and we pray. And it's silence, more silence, and sometimes more silence. And we get frustrated and we get distraught because we sometimes start to think that the silence means that the answer is no. Satan will then begin to tempt us to do a very dangerous thing. He'll tempt us then to stop praying, right? You're not getting the answer you want. You're not getting the answer in the time that you wanted it. He, he must not care. He must not be listening to you. He must not be paying any attention to what you have to say. So the temptation then, a very large temptation in our life, you know what? Why bother? I feel goofy anyway. I feel like I'm talking to myself. Uh, and so we just stop. We stop pray while we may believe that there's power in prayer and we may believe that that's a reality we we don't always have the stick to itness that we maybe we need we don't always have the faith that maybe we need to continue in our prayer life the way that we should to continue asking god for that which is our greatest needs I believe one of the points that you see in this parable of Jesus is to really get this point across that God is that neighbor and God wants us to ask. He wants us to come to Him. He, he wants us to ask over and over again. That is the right thing to do. And God, just like that neighbor, God has the ability, the capability to answer whatever our prayers may be, whatever our needs may be. He has the power to answer those prayers if He so chooses. If it is His will. If it is according to His plan. Jesus told another parable over in Luke chapter 18. Listen, I'd encourage you, we really don't have time today, but I'd encourage you to read it sometime later today. But in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, we see the reason for the parable that Jesus told there. 
And it says that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. So the reason that the following parable was told there in Luke chapter 18 was so that what? So that we would know to pray, to not lose heart. That is, to not give up on that which or who we may be praying for. Now, is there a time when we should stop praying? Yeah, probably. As it becomes evident to us that that which is praying for is not God's will. As it becomes more evident that the, what you're praying for is not His plan. That's probably a time when we need to save our breath. But aside from that, if we're praying for that which is His will, if we're praying for that which is His plan, He wants us to not lose heart. He wants us to continually come to Him in prayer. God will always do what is honorable. God will always do that which is as His, well, consistent, you might say, with His character. And so while God may be silent sometimes in our prayers, and sometimes God may say no to our prayers, we can know and we should be able to find hope in the fact that however God answers us, it's going to be that which is best for us. That God, because He is loving, because He is good, because He is righteous, that His answers, His answers will be His answers in His time and in His way. I think we also see a very interesting contrast here in this parable. Unlike the neighbor, God's not bothered by our request. You see, the neighbor in the parable is a little annoyed, right? Like most of us probably would be if a friend dropped by at midnight and said, hey, by the way, I had company come over. You got anything I can borrow to, to, to feed them? Most of us may get a little annoyed around midnight. Everybody's in bed. Everything's closed up for the day. Kitchen's closed. That's not who God is. See, Jesus makes it really clear. God is not that, that neighbor that impatient neighbor, but he's actually generous. He's very gracious because he's your father, which is even more than just being a friend. Jesus would go on to say in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 11, what father among you, if his son has asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So God is not a reluctant, impatient neighbor. God is a good and patient, gracious, giving Heavenly Father. But do we believe that? When you're struggling in your life, when you don't know which way to turn or what to do next, who do you turn to first? Do you talk to your spouse? Do you talk to a parent? Do you talk to a friend? Do you talk to a brother or sister in Christ? When you're struggling and you don't know what to do, who is the first person that you turn to? When all other resources are used, then do you go to God? When, when everyone else has been consulted in this life, 
Everyone else who's not creator and sustainer of life, everyone else who's not perfection and and goodness and love, when everyone else has been consulted, then do we go to God? You know, I, I really don't know what to, ask, to do about this. I mean, I've, I've just, I think I've talked about everybody I know, and nobody really seems to have an answer. Uh, you know what? I, I guess I probably need to pray about it. Those are the words of someone who views God more as a reluctant neighbor than a gracious, loving father. You hear that, church? That's the words, that's the mindset of someone who views God more as the reluctant neighbor than they do our gracious Heavenly Father. Our God is not a reluctant, impatient neighbor. Our God is good and gracious. He is our Heavenly Father. And Jesus says, He's so good that that even those of you who are evil, that'd be all of us, all of us who are imperfect, you know how to give pretty good gifts, right? (laughs) I mean, if your kid asks for something good, you wouldn't give them something bad. You know better than to do that. Now, Now, if you know better than to do that, how much more do you think your gracious, good, heavenly Father will do for you? And Jesus says He's going to give you a really amazing gift Here in verse 13, I'm going to go back to it for a second. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, now hold on here. Sometimes, maybe we read this kind of fast and we go, how much more in good gifts of this earth will God give us? I mean, if I ask my dad for $10, then I know my God's going to give me $100, right? Because that's who my God is. No, no, no. Jesus said, how much more of the Holy Spirit will you be given? Now that, He's an amazing gift. He who comforts, He who is our advocate. He who may not always have the power to change circumstances, but He can certainly change us from within. There is no greater gift than the Holy Spirit. He can change our attitude. He can change our behavior. He can change our desires. Sometimes, sometimes when, when times are tough and times are hard, Sometimes we don't always see the most obvious prayer that probably needs to be prayed. Sometimes when we're going through very difficult life circumstances, we go to God in prayer, and our first prayer is always about what? God, change this. Change the circumstance. Change the people who are hurting me. Change everything going on around me. Change my job. Change my school. God, you know you know how bad I'm hurting, and you know what's going on. God, change all this. Well, maybe what we need to be praying is God changed me. Because a lot of times, once we begin to change, our circumstances will get a little bit better. But it begins with us. 
not everyone else. So you know the, that really hard-nosed boss you have, right? Now you, you and I both know he's not hitting you with a stick or a whip, right? So we can go back and clear that up. But you know the really hard-nosed boss that you think you just can't satisfy. Maybe if you started showing up on time, maybe the relationship with your boss would improve. Or, or the spouse, oh man, you and your spouse are constantly at odds. You don't feel like you can ever make them happy. Maybe. Maybe if you began to consistently show them the love and respect God wants you to show them, no matter how they're treating you, maybe that relationship will begin to grow. Maybe that relationship will begin to become what it is supposed to be in the eyes of God and what you want it to be. So often the prayer is not about the circumstance around us. It's about us. So maybe today, maybe that's a prayer that you need to make. Maybe that's a prayer that I need to make. Maybe we need to be able to look within ourselves and say, God, help me to see. Help me to find that which is in me that you want me to change the most. We look in Scripture. Scripture is this amazing spiritual mirror of God. And, and we look in the Scriptures and, and God tells us through the Holy Spirit, he, he, he will tell us and show us exactly what parts of our lives need to be tinkered with, need to be refined, need to be removed. He'll show us. And then, He'll even empower us. He will. He'll empower us to make those changes. But we need to ask for it. See, it's one thing to say that we believe in the power of prayer. It's something else completely to actually pray. To actually do it. To actually have this prayer life with God. Which is such an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing to have. If you go back to Luke 11, there Jesus said in verses 9 and 10, He said, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. To not pray, right? Like to not pray makes about as much sense as showing up at a friend's house at midnight and just kind of like standing on the porch hoping that they'll wake up somehow and know that you're there <laughs> and that they'll come let you in or come see what you need. Doesn't make much sense at all, does it? You, you can't expect them to know you're there when all you have to do is knock. All you have to do is knock. In 2023, what is it? What is it in, in your life that you would like to see changed? What is it that you are prayerful for? Is it something in our world? Something in our country? Something in our congregation? Something within your family? Is it something within yourself? What is it that you want to see in this new year you would dearly love to see changed? Write it down. And begin to pray. Pray in a way that you believe, you have faith, that God will act. 
and He will. He may change our circumstances. He may change us from within. He may change both. One way or another, if we have faith, if it's God's will, it will be done. The question is, do we, in this new year, do we have the faith to ask and to keep asking? Do we have the faith to seek and to keep seeking? Do we have the faith to knock and to keep knocking? Do we truly believe that prayer is powerful and that it can change lives? Rainbow, if there's something in your life today that you'd like for us to be praying with and for you about, we'd be honored to do just that. Because we absolutely believe prayer can change one's life. We can help you with that. Won't you come while we stand and sing?